Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Nobody goes to their games. No. Nobody goes. Now, people will be there. Dallas travels well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will be there this week. But is the league concerned about this? This was a preeminent franchise. Nobody goes to the games. Tony, there's raw sewage falling on people. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, there's that. In a sweep. In a sweep. I would say the chance that you may get feces on you is a pretty strong disincentive. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Got a lot of things to talk about today. <laughs> people did not go to that game. Got a lot of things. Well, no. Local people did local not go. Local people did Mm-mm. not go. Dallas Cowboy fans <clears throat> went to that game. And they're local. Yeah. So let me get to a couple of things here. First of all, this is going to make Michael so happy. I have in my hand the bill from Rehoboth Beach Country Club. Oh, it's and wrinkled in paperclip, so I know you've gone through it a few times. And on November 21st, 2021, <laughs> where it the says calendar. clubhouse food and beverage amount $79, service $14.22, total $93.22, which means I did not get a free entree. No. I didn't get one or two free entrees. They charged me for these entrees. They charged me. Still a good price, though. $40 for a steak dinner, like a good prime rib <coughs> dinner with a potato? Everything was fine, but tell everybody, because they're listening to you now, how delighted it makes you that I did not get <laughs> what I deserved, which you, was you my paid entree. A fair, a fair rate for a steak dinner. I handed in a coupon. I'm now happier that you've gone over this bill and you've called, you've called me a number of times. I'm sure you've shared all, with this with all your friends out at the beach. Well, Jay Whitby wrote me a note uh, telling me why I got the... Um, the coupon to begin with, and I, I got a coupon when I got this because I filled out some sort of survey form right. for something. And when I got this, I couldn't wait to write Jay back and say, "You're going to love this." I didn't get the money, and my son is so happy, <laughs> so happy. You were you expressed joy. You're just working towards a minimum anyway. This is money that was already spent. I'm just saying you're you're, you're and now you have joy. a reputation. Your joy is just <laughs> joyful for you that I got burned. your reputation's never been worse. I got this note from Marty Kaiser. Marty Kaiser is a dear friend, and Marty at one point, and we are all so proud of people like this, he was a sports editor at the Baltimore Sun, among other places, and then became the editor-in-chief of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So in the sports world, when people do that, when they make that big leap, we're all very proud of them. And he writes, I don't know if this is a Michael Wilbon or Tony Kornheiser moment, as in a David Aldrich moment. Last week, I'm on an American Airlines flight from L.A. I'm watching PTI on my phone. The flight attendant looks down at my phone and says, I know that man. It's Mike Wilbon. She points to Wilbon. She tells me what a nice person he is. And then she tells me how much she likes Michael, his son, and his wife. So after a few minutes of her raving about Wilbon and me agreeing what a great guy he is, she says, and I know the other guy, Tony. I said, I also know Mike Wilbon on the other guy, and I call him Tony. She said, how do you know him? I explained I had worked in newspapers for years. She said, where did you work? I said, Chicago, Baltimore, and Milwaukee. She was genuinely thrilled that I know you both, and we continued to have a Mike and Tony airplane fan club meeting, despite the fact she said how much Tony doesn't like flying. She was quite animated about your dislike of flying. (laughs) She also seemed concerned that you had retired. (laughs) And I add parenthetically, well, if I'm on the show... 
and she's watching it. How could I have retired? I assured her you weren't, saying in addition to PTI, you hosted the Tony Kornheiser podcast. I hope I didn't overstep my authority. But I told her that she could be the official flight attendant of the Tony Kornheiser podcast. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? So we know what cabin she's working. Uh, first class. <laughs> I guess it wasn't a David Aldridge moment. Let's call it a Mike and Tony moment. Keep up the great work on the podcast. I will keep promoting you and Mike on airlines and assure flight attendants you aren't retired. So that's very nice. Are you enjoying yeah. retirement? Uh, well, it, it's been good so far. <laughs> you did drive downtown yesterday. I did. I, I did. <sighs> Let me get to that. <laughs> I had not been in my office in a year and a half, over a year and a half, like March 17th, 18th, is that when everything was shut down? Yeah, Correct. just about then, yeah. Right, and so it's a year and nine months, basically. I wanted to see if my office was still intact. I wanted to see if any poachers had moved in and taken my stuff away and put their stuff in. I wanted to get the lay of the land, and I was anxious Actually anxious if someone had moved in to take his or her stuff and literally throw it out into the hall, which is what I was going to do. Throw it out into the hall. So I took what I considered to be the path of least resistance, which was at 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday, I drove downtown. There's nobody there. There's nobody on the roads. And I knew I could park onto Sale Street. And I parked onto Sale Street. And I thought that the only traffic around the Sale Street at that point would be the... ABC Sunday morning news show traffic. Well, the street was sort of kind of empty. And there were guards in the building. And I went into the building and I recognized them and they recognized me and they all had masks on. And we had a happy little reunion. And I said, does my card still work? And indeed, my card still worked. I could enter the building. I could get to the elevators. I could get up to the sixth floor and I could open the office to PTI and then open my own door. This was thrilling to me because I wanted to do it. I wanted to see what was going on. Now, Bonnie had warned me beforehand that she had some stuff in there. Some stuff. It wasn't... Gummy it was a, bears? No, no. No, she had on sweatshirts and stuff like that, you know, to give out to the staff and people who had worked at the show for a long period of time. And my desk was a little bit overrun with stuff, um, most of which was probably for me but I took all the stuff that I didn't immediately recognize and just put it out on somebody else's desk in the main office because I didn't want it. I didn't want it. I, I, had, sure. I had no knowledge of it before, and I felt I didn't care. I looked around at the walls, and everything was still on the walls. The pictures of my son and my daughter uh, were still on the walls. The uh, ornaments were still up. The golf course flags were still up. Everything was still up. Things that were near and dear to my heart for many, many, many years were still up. I looked in my closet. My closet still had my stuff in it, stuff that I wore many years ago and will never wear again. And I, I mean, I'm happy if somebody came in and just took it all and, and wore it for themselves or gave it to their children or whatever. I, I don't care about any of that. A couple of pairs of shoes, stuff I'm never going to wear again. I'm, I'm really not going to ever wear this stuff again. I don't know if I'll ever go in that office again. But it gave me a warm, nostalgic feeling to be there. I looked down at the bottom of the closet, and there were still some unopened boxes of pistachio nuts that were five and six and eight and 12 years old, and I took a couple home. Yeah, seasoned. I took, took them home and opened them and opened one last night. It was fine. 
you know, not all the nuts were fine. Some <laughs> had the sag of age, but many were yeah, fine. You know, many were fine. I drove home and I left my son a message. Um, I said, I hope I'm not being maudlin, but I was being maudlin. That's, yeah, that's a, that's, that message is saved. Yeah, it's a maudlin <laughs> message. Um, but I was so, I was happy to go back. I was happy to see that I recognized the entire newsroom area. I was happy that my office had not been violated in some terrible way. Um, and I was happy to just look around, look around, see all the things that I had before, opened up some drawers, honestly felt, what is this junk? <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of, what is this junk? Sure. And I left Michael a message saying, you'll go through it someday and take what you want. I mean, I have some really nice little mementos. Even have a picture of Michael from the set a long, long time ago. Um, so it was a nice feeling. I'm really glad I did it. But when I walked out, it wasn't that I said, well, I'll never be back here again. But I, I didn't have, I didn't have the longing. I didn't, like, I wasn't, how do I describe this? The tape on the bandage had worn off. You know what I mean? I didn't feel the connection that I once felt. I could go back. I could work there every single day till I was done. But it didn't, it didn't reach out to me in the way that it once did. You know what I mean? But I'm really glad I went. I'm really glad I went. This is a very interesting look into your psyche. At first, when I got that message, I figured you just wanted to go at the quietest time, but you wanted people to know that you had been there. So you move everything just a little bit, so they start talking, and you and you sort of go around the room in people's mind, going, "Why did Tony come in today? Why oh. is he is he coming back?" And but to hear what it meant for you emotionally, just to see all the small. It's the small moments Trinkets. of life that we all have in any workspace yeah. that you just accumulate. And then, you know, the memories that you have as you walk from your desk to go, you know, down the, down the corridor to the left to go to Kelleher's desk yeah. or to check in you yeah. know, with or Bonnie. Bonnie. Or, yeah. 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 The, the towels that have been in that bathroom. Never used. The bathroom. Never used. Um, the towels for 12 well. years. I've never been washed. I've never been used. Um, the stuff on the wall is still the stuff on the wall. You know, it made me very, very happy to be there, but I also felt that I didn't have, I no longer had the need to visit in the way that I had before. It's just odd. Did you go downstairs to the set? No. Did not go down to the set. Um, no. When we left, our set was very, very new. It was less than two or three months old. So I don't have the connection to that set that I had to the other one, which is where Van Pelt is now. But I didn't, you know, it didn't even occur to me to go down there. I mean, I figured it was dark and, you know, I don't even know how to light it up and, or anything like that. Right. No, I wanted to see, I wanted to see my place. I wanted to see the newsroom. I wanted to get a sense if it still looked the same. And, and to be fair, it really did. It really did look the same. I mean, the orchids that Bonnie had rescued from the Orchid Rescue League were still there. And, you know, every Eric's desk and Matt's desk and Moe's desk and Daniel's desk and, you know, the other Matt's desk, Matt Williams, they were all there. Bonnie, Frankie, all that stuff is still there. The place where I sat was still there. Liz's desk. Yeah, but Liz didn't have a desk in that office. She had a desk in the other room. So, yeah, she should get a sweatshirt, by the way. We have all these sweatshirts. Well, they were in your office. You could have grabbed her one. I didn't. I felt they were Bonnie's. I mean, in the same way that I would have felt if somebody came into my office and rifled through it, I, I didn't want to do that. Didn't want to do that. I was going to talk at great length about Michael Nesmith dying, but I've used up all the time. 
So I'm not going to do that. He was a monkey. Yeah. He was the lead monkey. I'll just say this. I liked the monkeys. I know I shouldn't, but I did. I liked the monkeys. I understand why the monkeys were big. I understand that in the prop wash of the movie Help, it made all the sense in the world to, for a smart guy to say, we can do that in America. We see what the Beatles are doing. We can do that and we can make it a television show. And it was a very good television show for about a year. But in the television business, if your ratings fall off, you're done. That's what, listen up, you know, could have been a good show, but it didn't get a chance because the people said no. And the people eventually and fairly quickly said no to the monkeys. But the monkeys were good and they understood how to perform. And there's a canard that none of them could play music. That's not true. That's not true. Davy Jones was a theatrical performer in England. I mean, he was, I think, the lead in Oliver, in yes. the original version of Oliver. <clears throat> Peter Tork could really play the guitar. Michael Nesmith could play guitar and write songs and sing. Michael Nesmith wrote Different Drum, yeah. the first Linda Stone Ronstadt bonus. hit. Yeah. Um, Mickey Dolenz was an, a child actor in something called Circus Boy, and he learned to play the drums. They could perform. They went out and performed. It wasn't that they were terrible. People thumbed their noses at them because they were a creation. You know, they did not happen organically. They were the prefab for, but they were better than people would think. And some of their songs, like Last Train to Clarksville and Daydream Believer, these are really good, a little bit me, a little bit you. These are really good songs written yeah. by really good people like Carole King and Neil Diamond and sure. people like that. Yeah. And so they were, they were pretty good. They were not great, but they were pretty good. They were better, you know, until the better thing comes along, they did. They yeah. were fine. Yeah. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, I don't know if you ever saw the documentary they did in Laurel Canyon. No. The great, you know, musicians nah, that, yeah, that grew yeah. up there. Oh, yeah. Well, there were, several of the monkeys were, were there, and they yeah. were embedded in that community. Yeah. So it wasn't like everyone's like, oh, that's just a stupid show, and it's a gimmicky thing. No, they were they I think were the loved. name hurt them. Yeah, it probably did. I think the name hurt them. But I think they were respected by other musicians. Yeah, you know, but right? I think they were pretty good, and Michael Nesmith was pretty good. And Michael Nesmith had a fascinating life. Yeah. His mother invented liquid paper. He was totally loaded his whole life. He won a $47 million judgment against PBS at one point. Now, it, it, was, not, it was not a full 47 that was reduced. But still, you can reduce $47 million to a lot of million, and everybody's happy. <laughs> Everybody everybody's happy, you know? All right, so we'll take a break. Michael Wilbon, when we return, yes? That's right. Michael Wilbon. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Shopify ad. Shopify is more than a store. It allows you to connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day. -day. It instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. It has thousands of integrations and third-party apps. You're losing me. From on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots, you've lost me, and beyond. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. Michael, explain Shopify to people like me. Takes care of everything from marketing and payments to secure transactions and shipping. You got a great idea? Take it online. You're already online? Grow that business. So go to Shopify.com slash Tony K. That's all lowercase. Shopify.com slash Tony K for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Tony K right now. One more time, shopify.com slash Tony K. Yes, <laughs> it happened. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. 
Framebridge is a verb. Framebridge is a verb. If Framebridge is a verb, Kornheiser is a verb. He made a stupid, weak argument, so I cornizered him until he withered in the corner. If Kornheiser is a verb, then Nigel is a verb. I Nigel him by analyzing the Super Bowl match and admiring the natural grass pitch. If Nigel is a verb, Bootsy and Hammer is a verb. All was darkness, and then I Bootsy and Hammered them with cuteness. Carville is a verb, and Carville is a verb. I carvilled them until they were utterly confused. If Carville is a verb, then Booger is a verb. I boogered them with really good personal examples to support my premise. If Booger is a verb, then Michael is a verb. I Michaeled him by appearing to bring calm while subtly needling the host. If Michael is a verb, then Jesse is a verb. Quietly, then Chessied loudly and stole the show. If Chessie is a verb, Uncle Benny is a verb. I Uncle Benny him by stiffing him on his inheritance and giving him a piece of clunky furniture. If Uncle Benny is a verb, then Soliza is a verb. I looked at the pie, it looked good, so I solicited it. If Soliza is a verb, then Wilbon is a verb. They thought I'd be surprised, but I will bond and side coming all along. Nigel is a verb, Tin Hammer is a verb, Carville is a verb, Booger is a verb, Michael is a verb, Jesse is a verb, Wilbon is a verb, Kornheiser is a verb, Framebridge is a verb, Uncle Benny is a verb, Soliza is a verb, Kornheiser is a verb. Dan Byrne, he's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's not everybody's taste. I understand that. I understand that. But he's absolutely brilliant. And he plays in Wilbon, of course, who was mentioned in that song. I'll just start with this because it was the late game. I mean, I'll start with Chicago. I I thought Chicago played pretty well. How did you feel about that? I didn't think they would win. I thought they played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they they, they played better than I thought they could. I mean, a loss was inevitable. Yeah. Um, you know, with a 10 point lead at one point, we were, you know, in, in this house, we're talking about the Bears pretty much throughout the day. And I said to, and Matthew said, Dad, the bottom line, do we have a, can we win this game? And I go, no. No. No, no, no there's zero chance of that. Yeah. Um, because the other team is better, the other team is smarter, the other team is better coached. And no, there's, there's, there's zero chance of winning the game. That's the only game on the schedule today in the NFL where one team has no chance. And so that that's that going in knowing that is sort of you know defeating and depressing and another reason why, you know, they have to make this change which, you know, they should, you know, they should have made of course weeks ago but they were never going to do. So yeah, I mean it also underscores the Bears have players. They actually have players. You could make the case for the general manager to stay. But when you look at some of the talent on the field, you go, wait a minute. They got guys who can do stuff. They do. And yet there was yet they have no chance to win the game. No, I agree with that that they were not going to win that game and what we what we saw and of course we're waiting on Arizona tonight. But what we saw was the teams the, the teams that we think are contenders begin to go through the process of establishing themselves as contenders. In the, in the NFC, there's Green Bay, there's Arizona, we're waiting for them tonight, and there's Tampa Bay. And, and Tampa Bay had a tough time, but Tampa Bay was triumphant. In the AFC, 
there's Tennessee, there's Kansas City, there's New England, which had the day off, and then Baltimore fell back. So those are the six teams, right, Mike? Those are the six teams well, that I'm we're looking at right now. Your Rams. I'm not going to eliminate your pick. They play tonight. Mm. I they know that's play, what I'm saying. They, so at the Arizona, winner of that game, that's right. you know, that's I mean, right. Arizona is not eliminated if they lose that game. But that's right. You know, the Rams have every chance to to make people take notice. They have every chance. So we'll we'll see. You know, with that direction. But so I, I would I would add them as well. So what what you look at and what you wonder about, you wonder about the psyche of teams. I was very interested in what Josh Allen said after his team lost to Tampa Bay because they were outplayed early by a lot. They were down, I think, 24-3 or 27th. It was a lot. It was a real big margin. And Josh Allen led that team back and did a lot of running. And afterwards, he said, essentially, I love this team. I mean, I know we lost. I, I, I get that we lost. But this is who we are. This is as close to who we are as you've seen in a while. They've had two very, very tough losses in a row against wonderful teams, against New England and against Tampa Bay. Um, what, what, do you think, what do you think of their psyche right now? What do you think of their ability to bounce back Buffalo? Or do you say to Not yourself— much. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> I, just, I agree. You know, we, we, we're at the time of the year where, you know, they, they've got too many losses. Is Buffalo 7-6? and six? I, think I thought so. they were 7-5. and five. Have they played 13? I don't know. I don't know. I think Maybe 7-6. Seven seven six. Six. It's like, no, you've lost too many games. You can do that. You, yeah. you can't give me that. You know, what would the, it sounds like, you know, all those games where Lefty Giselle used to lose to Dean Smith. And I'm really proud. If they're the number one team in the nation and we only lost to them by, you know, 14, I'm (laughs) sorry. No, I've heard. I've heard. No, Buffalo's a disappointment. They got too many losses. If they they were 9-3 and and that was one of their losses, I'd say okay, but it isn't. So, no. I I saw his whole postgame thing. I understand he's proud to be on that team. Good. Now you're going to go home early. So be satisfied with that. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, I look they're, at I look at Baltimore that way. They're, I look at Baltimore that way. Yeah, but Baltimore, Baltimore has come closer more recently. You know, Baltimore has been better more recently. Buffalo was supposed to, you know, be able to flex and get New England off of them, and they can't. That's right. And so it's like, all right, that's nice. That's a nice speech. Who's next? Yeah, I'll go to Kansas City, uh, the famous dynasty of one. And they've won six or seven in a row, and they killed somebody. Now it's a bad team that they the killed. But they, How they killed. They stink. Are the Raiders to yeah, do what they, they just, did? Seriously, yeah. the Raiders—they are just comprised of people who are morons. <laughs> they are. Mm. We're going to come to your place, which we should know historically, even if we have many. Some of us haven't played there many times. <clears throat> we we know that maybe Kansas City has the greatest home court advantage in the NFL, which is what I believe. Kansas City or Seattle. Either them or Green Bay, one of them. And we're going to act stupid. We're going to be fools. We're going to enrage you. A rival already with enough incentive. The Raiders, they should just back the truck up and just get rid of. I mean, it's hard to be dumber than the Raiders. It really is. Well, I thought yesterday you said that both – Dallas and Washington were dumber than anybody you'd ever seen. Well, they, they, you left they, me? I'm talking about their. I'm talking oh. about the decisions that the oh, okay. coaches right. made. Right, right. In, right. in game, and I, and I don't mean that about Ron Rivera overall, 
But, I mean, you know we're going to talk about that. People are going to talk about Dallas. Dallas the, the Washington football team had that game on their rackets. And it was starting with the missed PAT. You just go, jeez. You, know, you know, they're plucky and, and some of that, too. But, you know, and Mike McCarthy, seriously? I mean, sometimes I get tired and I think it's overstated how dumb he is. And then you watch that game yesterday, you go, no, it's not overstated. It really isn't. And then, and then, and then Washington, they, got, they get seven and a half yards on that first down after they get the ball back. You got two and a half yards. You don't need to take a shot. You're, you got two and a half minutes left. You don't want to give up the ball. You want to score late, score definitively, win the game, and embarrass them. You got to take a shot. We're going to go downfield to throw a pass that, you know, and two plays later, of course, they give up the ball. You got your backup quarterback in. Why do you need to take a shot? It's just a team that doesn't have any offense anyway. I just thought, I just thought, wow, who's dumber in this game, the Cowboys or the, or the Washington football team? And then, of course, you get, you find out what the Raiders are doing in the late game. We're going to stomp on your logo. We're going to enrage you. It was just a series of dumb off in the NFL yesterday. It was, it had a certain charm to it. There was a certain appeal in terms of the closest of the games and people were in it. Yep. But yep. you just go, yep. really, really? You, you, there's a bunch of stupid out there, and it needs to be called out. So I am. There was a but the two endings of the of the late games were wonderful to both go into overtime from a viewing standpoint that was that was great so uh, let me ask you this I have always liked Burrow over Herbert and you have always liked Herbert over Burrow yeah. and you may be right I mean they're both I think they're both really good but Herbert they are. he he may be it right Herbert may uh, be it well maybe uh, it may it may be not I mean they both both could just wind up at the top of the middle of the pack. They could, you know, there are guys like Matt Ryan who have a couple of really good years and maybe even yep. get to a Super Bowl. It doesn't mean they're ever going to be great. And they could both be that. Again, Cincinnati, they're just, they're just too stupid for words usually. And that's the culture there. It has been. Even, there, even when they've been really good and they pop up and they've gotten to a couple of Super Bowls, they get to a couple of, you know, they win some playoff games. I mean, even even when they 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 did the, what are they lacking? I mean it was, I mean as much as we loved, you know their coach previously Marvin. They they, they do stupid stuff. They get people suspended. They lose games late. It's like how how many years are we going to watch the Bengals do this? And the answer apparently is forever, 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 forever. No, no, they, forever. They can't get out of their own way at some point. And can Joe Burrow overcome that? Eh, no, nah, I don't think so. I mean he does. He does stuff that I go, all right. He's got a lot of talent. He seems to be a guy that you'd root for, right? If you if he was your quarterback, you'd root for him. Yeah. But I'm yeah. looking at him too many Sundays, Tom, and I'm like, eh. It's like Buffalo yesterday. They got a, they got some Charlie Brown in them. They had to win that game in regulation. You you knew that. You know you've got to win that game in regulation. You're not going to beat Tom Brady. And yet, and it's not a dumb play, but it's a bad play. He steps out of bounds when he when he, he the ball hits the pylon. They're going to win the game right there. Except, oh wait, they can't. And so, yes, you are right. The, the games have thrilling endings. You are right. They do. They do. But the same teams do the same dumb stuff, and they lose. And so, part of the reason why you got that group you've got is because they're smarter. You know, and I, I'm not putting the, I'm not putting the Cowboys in that category. They're not smarter. No, no, no. I'm they not, tried to give that game away yesterday and they yeah. succeeded. 
No, they're yeah. I'm not, I don't walk away impressed with them. Let me switch gears right. completely. We now know that Tiger is going to play with his son in that tournament yeah. they played in last year. I believe that's this week. Yeah, he was the topic. Tiger was. I was out on the golf course yesterday a little bit, and and he was the topic of conversation in this regard. I'm sure you agree with me. I don't know that he can come back. I'm not certain he can. I don't even think he can as a real tour player. But you've got to believe he wants to, don't you think? He really wants to. At some point, of course. It's still still fresh. It's only been 10 months. So, I mean, yeah. But when he says he looks down and sees his leg and he knows what he sees, I told you to me that 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 was it. That was ball game. I mean, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I want to go out and shoot, you know, seventy-five, even at Columbia. And that's not going to happen. I want to, but I'm resigned to that not happening. Tiger Woods is resigned to that not happening. I'm not saying that he won't get a flash some days, Tone, and feel like, wow, that was pretty good round. Yeah. You know, but it ain't, it ain't, it's not good enough to beat Kepka, and it's not good enough to beat. DeChambeau is not good enough to beat Rory anymore. It's not good enough to beat Morikawa and Matthew Wolf. It isn't. He knows that. He knows that. So this is what he has, and this will have to suffice. Um, and I don't know how I feel about watching it. I'm going to watch it whenever it's on. Yeah, me too. I don't too. know how I feel about it. There'll be, there'll be a certain wistfulness about it. Yep. That you know that this is the great Tiger Woods. One of the and just forget about golf for a second. One of the great performers. In the history of competition, uh, you know, that's, yeah. and he knows he can't do that. He he knows the heights that he has reached, that he has scaled. He does. So no, I I think one, the only place you and I differ about this is Tiger knows he can't do that. He he knows he he knows he's not he's never going to do that. And so, going out and playing with with his son. Is the next best thing, and so we talked about that a lot in, in my house yesterday, and I'm sure you have too, because we're talking about fathers and sons who play golf together, and you know, we, we, we it, it, it's that, it, that's difficult for me. That's a difficult swallow for me. Um, the tiger is never going to do that. That he knows that he's never going to do it, and if he can't do it. The next best thing is to be able to do this with Charlie. I mean, Charlie may have greatness in him. He may. I mean, it looks right now like he does have it, like somewhere near him or around him or in him. And so that's what we're all going to have to settle for, for people who, you know, look for greatness in any sport they play. So I'm I'm curious to see that. I'm not going to make decisions. I'm not going to get judgmental. I'm not going to say if he he loses, oh, he's not his father. Of course he's not his father. Not yet. But I, I just, for me, there's a certain wistfulness about that. All right. I'll see you later. Very good. Thank you. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Tim Kirkchin will join us when we return. Tim was recently honored. He's going to be in the, as Wilbon is in the Basketball Hall of Fame, Kirkchin is going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and we will talk specifically about that. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the solo stove ad. There's nothing quite like the feeling of gathering around a warm fire on a cool evening, and a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable, because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, and actually enjoy the fire. And with Solo Stove's holiday sale, you can get a great deal on a Solo Stove fire pit. 
Michael, tell your solo soap story. We just had the leaves picked up in the backyard, so our, our yard is shining. The leaves are down. Perfect time for a nice early winter fire pit experience. And it's all about the double burn, so make sure you get the kindling nice and hot before you start adding that fuel. But you have to watch the fuel height to make sure you're not uh, adding to the smoke because it's nearly smokeless. you got to be careful. Upgrade your backyard with a solo stove fire pit just like Michael. Enjoy the mesmerizing flames and all the opportunities to create more good moments and lasting memories. Make the time with your friends and your family richer with a solo stove fire pit. They're made with premium grade. Is it 304 or 304 stainless steel? 304. 304 stainless steel. I'm a 303 man myself. And a 360 degree <laughs> airflow system. <coughs> Excuse me, that maximizes efficiency. May I offer well, you a formal invitation? Yeah, while minimizing smoke. A formal invitation to your house? To the Solo Sove experience Ooh. this yes, Saturday. I, oh, sure. I'd love to do that. That would make me That's very happy. That's a big happy. moment. Look at that, kids. <laughs> Look at that. Let the gifting begin. I Solo Sove's holiday for sale for a huge site-wide savings now through the end of the year. And get $10 off with the promo code Tony K, plus a lifetime warranty and a free 30-day return. Get an extra $10 off holiday deals at solostove.com with the promo code Tony K. And you should use the code while I go to Michael's house and enjoy the solo stove. <laughs> You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. When it's my time to take that ride, bring me to Memphis by the riverside. Lay me down somewhere green. Close my eyes and I'll dream. This is Lonely Dreamer. This is sent to us by the Bedrocks and Ray Ficko, who's in the group. Says it's a song inspired by our heroes, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and the early rock and roll legends of the 1950s. So the band found a little place on Union Avenue in Memphis to record it. It's called Sun Studio. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> Recording at Sun was truly a sacred experience. We spent most of the sessions just looking at each other thinking, I can't believe we're here recording a song using the same piano Jerry Lee Lewis played. They want to thank the engineers at Sun, Daniel Crockett and Lydia Fletcher and Emily from the Peabody, which I'm sure is a hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, I'm guessing, for making our weekend in Memphis one we'll never forget. Lonely Dreamer available on iTunes, Spotify, and all major music platforms. Michael, if people like the Bedrocks want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. I would imagine that recording a song at Sun Studios or recording a song at the Apple Studios in England or recording, you know what I mean, is to music what getting a chance to hit at Yankee Stadium is, <laughs> you know, yes. for a baseball person. Yes. I mean, my friend Eddie Plutzer went to the Yankee Fantasy Camp so that he could bat at Yankee Stadium. And he hit one, you know, two pretty deep left or center or something like that. Didn't get out or anything like that. That's one of the highlights of his life. Speaking of baseball, Tim Kirkton joins us now. And we're going to talk less about baseball and more about Tim and the honor he has received. You have been named or elected or voted, I don't really know what the right verb is, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Would you tell us what the award is and how you got the award? Uh, well, the award is the Lifetime Achievement Award, Career Achievement Award for a writer. Uh, it used to be called the Spink Award, but they changed the name. Uh, I think I'm the 73rd winner, and I found out on July the 11th that I had been nominated, which was a thrill of a lifetime professionally, 
And the last few months have been a little bit stressful waiting for the final moment. So that came on December the 7th. And so typically I couldn't sleep that morning. I had to kill some time thinking the announcement would come at 1130 in the morning. I was at the Harris Teeter at 9.30 in the morning, killing time. <laughs> I was at the self-service checkout area, you know, dragging some bottles of water through, trying to get paid through, and all of a sudden Jack O'Connell, the secretary-treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association, called me, and I looked at my phone and said, oh, my gosh, this might be it, and it was it. He congratulated me, and then I started to cry in the middle of the Harris Teeter. Now you what should. You should. Uh, that that's that's wonderful. Were you voted in? Were you? Were you know? Is there an actual vote, or do people sit down in a room and say, "Should we put him in?" Is it one person a year? Are there years where there's nobody? No, there's one person a year. Three people are nominated. The writers vote, and only the writers vote. The baseball writers, the same guys who vote for the Hall of Fame, uh, three hundred seventy-five. People voted, and I won, and I was thrilled beyond words, and I I can't even begin to tell you how overwhelmed I've been since then. It's been, it's been absolutely amazing. So who else that we would know has this same award? This is not the Ford Frick Award. I used to think this was the Ford Frick Award. That's different award, right? Right. That's for broadcasters. Okay, I'm okay. Not- I'm not a broadcaster, even though I am a broadcaster. Well, yeah, a well, none of us are, always, yeah, none right. of us are broadcasters. Always been a writer first, just like you're a writer first, yep. always, yep. Tony. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, Jason Stark won this a few years ago. He's one of my all-timers. Dan Shaughnessy, my all-time mentor back from the Washington Star, he won it. Peter Gammons won it. Um, a whole lot of great people have won this award. And to be, Shirley Povich won this award. Maury Povich sent me a an email the other day congratulating me, which oh, that's was so nice. That's like so nice. as cool as it gets. But I must say, and I can tell you this, Tony, maybe I shouldn't, but the day after I won the award, Johnny Bench called me at my house How great at eight thirty in the morning. So great and said to me, he said, Welcome to the club. You're one of us it's great. now. That's and great. As we know, Tony, I'm not one of them now. Right. There's a distinction between a Hall of Fame player and a writer who is in the wing of the Hall of Fame. There's a gigantic difference there. Don't think I don't understand that. However, the greatest catcher of all time called me to tell me that, and I almost started to cry again. And it's it's great. Now you're not going to sign autographs, Tim Kirk and H O F, in the way that Johnny never, Bench will never. say Johnny no. Bench H O F. We understand. No. That. We understand. I know how that works. So what do you? This is a stupid question. It's not really a stupid question. These are the questions everybody really wants to know. Do you get something? Do you get something? I don't even know, and I don't even care. I know I get to make a speech. On- oh. July the 23rd, and if they do it like they've done it in the past, there might be Hall of Fame baseball players sitting behind me when I make my speech. And if I look over my left shoulder and Brooks Robinson is there, let's say, I might not be able to get through my speech. So that's what I get is a chance to make a speech at the Hall of Fame on Hall of Fame weekend 
the Saturday before the Sunday induction of the players, that's when I'll get to make a speech, and um, that will be the, the greatest day of my professional life, even if I do a terrible speech, which hopefully, hopefully I won't. No, you'll do a great speech. Who do you go in with? Like on the day that you make your speech, who else is going in? Well, the uh, Jack Craddock the, um, is the Ford Frick Award winner. He pitched for the Cleveland Naps in the early 1900s, left-hand pitcher. And he is um, became a broadcaster. So apparently he's the first baseball player turned broadcaster, and he did the Indians games for 30 years. And uh, so he broadcast games when Bob Feller and all those guys played. Mm-hmm. He will would be going in as the Ford Frick winner, posthumously, of course. But uh, So that's who I will go in with on Saturday. And then Sunday, the six guys who just went in, uh, you know, the, the Jim Todd, Tony Oliva group, Buck O'Neill, all that, uh, they will go in the next day, of course, accompanied by anyone who gets voted in by the writers this year, if right. anyone is voted in by the writers. See, that's all the other halls of fame always have a whole bunch of people going in. Baseball doesn't. There are years where baseball doesn't have anybody going in. That's that's always Tim, that to me has always been the charm of baseball. They say, No, no, not you. Not this year. Maybe next year, right? Isn't that's that's what makes it the great the great vote to me. Yeah, I mean you've got to get seventy five percent of the vote with roughly five hundred people voting. Seventy five percent is hard to get from anyone. As we know, nobody got in last year on the writer's ballot. But the two separate committees, again, voted in six yep. people this year. Six all-timers, by the way. Minnie Minoso, Gil Hodges. Oh, my gosh. It's such a great group. Um, so we'll see if anyone gets in this year through the writers. But it is truly an exclusive club for players, obviously, as it should be. I assume, I mean, you said this before, that this is the biggest honor, right? I mean, because this is your profession. You've been a base, you know, you are not a general sports writer for a great period of time as much as you have been a baseball person for your entire career. This, to me, would seem to be it. This is it. This is the biggest honor. Yes? Yes. And there's nothing that could come close to this because you're right, Tony, this is all I've done for over 40 years. I mean, I briefly covered basketball, just filling in for some people, but baseball is what I've always wanted to cover. It's what I've always wanted to do. As you know, I went to Walter Johnson High School, named after the greatest pitcher of all time. That's where I got my writing start. It was a terrible start because I couldn't write my name, believe me, but I wrote for the (laughs) school paper. It was called The Pitch. I did some work for the yearbook. It was called the wind-up. So that's kind of where it all started at Walter Johnson High School. So there was a little bit of destiny involved here. I surely hope that you will say to Ravage to suck it that he's not in and you are. I surely hope you will do that, won't you? No, he's my best friend, certainly at ESPN. He has been my greatest supporter there. He has taught me how to do television. He's the play-by-play guy on 99% of the games that I do. So, Paul sent me two bottles of wine the other day, one for my birthday, which was on Friday. I turned 65, and another bottle 
for going into the Hall of Fame. So it's great. Uh, it's great. No, it's great. I will only shake and hug Carl Ravitz's hand when I see him. Well, I'll tell him because I like him <laughs> enough to just tell him that. So that there's one, only really one other question. Do you get to stay at the Otisaga, which is such a great hotel, and do you get a suite? It's such a great hotel. Do you get to stay there? Yes. I've never oh, stayed so at the Otisaga, oh, not so one good. night. So yeah. I get to stay there. I'm really looking forward to that. That's where all the Hall of Famers stay. So when you go down for breakfast in the morning or to yep. the grill in the evening, you know, you walk in and there's, there's a Hall of Famer every step that you take. It's unbelievable. And if I may, I was in the Otisaga years ago. This just shows you how powerful these moments are. Tony Gwynn Jr. was in the lobby of the Otisaga many years ago, the day his dad was going to be inducted. I saw Tony Gwynn Jr. that morning at 9 o'clock and said, Tony, how's your dad doing? He said, he sent me down here to get a beer for him. It was nine o'clock in the morning. He was so nervous about making a speech that he needed a beer at nine in the morning. But here's the kicker, Tony. Tony Gwynn Jr. looks at me and goes, my dad doesn't drink. And he needs a beer at nine o'clock in the morning. And then, of course, Tony Gwynn went out and crushed his speech. But it just shows you what Staying in the Otisaga that weekend means, and that's where I'll be in July, and I'm scared to death already, and it's eight months away. It's wonderful. The Otisaga is great, and they have, they have high tea at 4 o'clock in the afternoon with small little sandwiches, and they have the most beautiful veranda in the world, and I've stayed there many, many times, though I can't get near it on Hall of Fame weekend, obviously. And then there's the golf courses right next door, leather stocking, and all the players play. In fact, there's a plaque. You should talk to your boy Johnny Bench because there's a plaque, I think, on number six that Johnny Bench hit a drive about 355 yards on that particular hole. And there's a plaque in the middle of the fairway. Um, you're not a golfer, so that wouldn't mean much to you. But Bench, could, he could really rock a tee shot. So, I, I mean, we're, all your friends are happy for you. You know that. We're all happy for you. It's lovely. Well, thank you, Tony. And I am a golfer. I just stopped playing. I used to be oh. a... I used to be decent, and I have played the golf course before. And by the way, the last time I was there, I took my son Jeff. He was 10. We went into the clubhouse at the golf course there, and Lou Brock was in the clubhouse. And he spent 20 minutes talking to me and my son. And he looked at my son, who was 10, and he said, You have a beautiful smile. You should use that smile all the time. Smile disarms people. We don't smile enough these days. Those are the kind of meetings that you get when you go to Cooperstown. And that's why, for me, it's one of the greatest places I've ever been. We will talk many, many, many more times before that. But our sincere congratulations. Good for you. When your friends do something great, it always makes everybody happy. Thank you, Timmy. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Tim Kirchin, boys and girls. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. Personal style can define you as a person and help express yourself, help you express yourself. And the end of the year is a great time to take a look at your closet and decide what's working and what's not. That's a pretty good idea. Indochino can get your closet where you want it to be before the new year starts, or you can gift using it as a verb, a wardrobe upgrade to somebody you care about with an Indochino gift card. 
Nigel, you have this, you buy it. Yes, uh, I, I love my Indochino suits so much. I've got three of them now. Probably going to get a fourth one very soon because I love them. They make me look great. They're fitted exactly to my measurements. You can customize the shirts and the suits whatever way you want. I've got that big Union Jack flag, flag on the inside, you know, so everybody Custom knows hey, that, that's Nigel. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's a great deal. It's fantastically priced. It's, uh, it's just fantastic. If you wanted everybody to know that's Nigel, you could put it on the outside. <laughs> that's Nigel. That's right. Because you can do that. Indochino offers completely custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. You can get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune. Every piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail. Choose everything about your suit, including the fabric, lapel, monogram, and statement linings. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. And the best part, Indochino suits start from just $429 and the shirts from $79 with all customizations included. So give yourself a closet revamp with Indochino or give the gift of great style with an Indochino gift card. Get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the promo code TONYK at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com, promo code TONYK, and use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag, going to read some faxes and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag, going to read some for all your folks. Going to read some for all your folks. Tom Mosser. How great is that? That's great breath control. How great is that? Tom Mosser. Fantastic, thank Tom. You. you want to do the Bethesda Bagel then? Yes, thank you. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. We've got the bagel sandwiches today. Love it. Always makes for a grand day for that. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right, let's just say before we get to the mailbag, it's all cold down on the beach. The wind's whipping down the boardwalk. Hey, band, you know what time of year this is? What time? What? Oh, Christmas time. You guys all been good and practicing real hard. Clarence, you've been rehearsing real hard now, so Santa will bring you a new saxophone. Everyone out there been good or what? Uh, that's not many, not many. You guys are in trouble out there. That is the beginning. Of course, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling I'm you telling why. you why. Yeah, Santa Claus is coming yeah, that's to that's Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Kids. Thanks to our guest, Michael Wilbon, Tim Kirchin. Thanks to today's sponsors, Shopify, Indochino, Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple. Please give us... A review. Promo code TK Mint is still active. Dad is rocking the Dearborn cashmere sweater today. I love it. Believe you have your, uh, your on-field Nats uh, t-shirt is underneath. No, no, it's not a Nats, just okay. a regular. It's an L.L. Bean shirt, which we'll get to at some point when we read the email about the L.L. <laughs> Bean president. I'm not going to do it today. From Ashton Wingate in Brooklyn, New York, in the tradition of so many littles before me, I have the honor and privilege of inviting you to a wedding that you have no interest in attending. Sending this email is almost as momentous as the ceremony itself and is actually the only traditional aspect of how my fiancé and I plan to cement our union. As many of the kids are doing these days, especially in light of an ever-present pandemic, we're opting to get married at the courthouse December 9th, so they did it, 2021, at the Louis J. Lefkowitz State Office Building in Manhattan, to be more specific. I know you're about to send regrets, but wait, I would never dream of asking to stand outside in the cold with us as we wait in line for our number to be called. Instead, me and the woman, to whom I will soon be related by marriage, or are, because we're backdating this, are inviting you to a dinner party that we're hosting to celebrate our love. We'd be thrilled if you would join us New Year's Eve as we gather together for dinner and cocktails in the equestrian room at the polo bar. 
You probably know this place, Tony. It's owned by and operated by your boy, Ralph Lifshitz, a.k.a. Ralph Lauren. That is his original name. It's a swanky establishment appointed with rich oak, majestic taxidermic beasts, and tartan plaid as far as the eye can see. Dinner is on us, of course. We'll have your steak or chicken parm and Johnny Walker Blue ready and waiting for you. We'll also make sure to keep the cocktail forks out of arm's reach so you won't be tempted to stab anyone. <laughs> they might not be able to make it. You'll be there in spirit as I create stimulating dinner conversation with my guests about D.C. weather and traffic, Chuck Todd's latest failed attempt to scale Mount 500, and other random ramblings of an old orange bald man who wrote a really nice letter to the Rehoboth Beach Water Company and still has not received a response. A good time will be had by all with the possible exception of every guest in attendance. None of whom listen to this show. Yours in prosperity, Ashton Wingate in Brooklyn. Isn't that nice? Isn't that good? Lovely. Uh, Framebridge is a verb. Dear Mr. Tony, you know who turns Framebridge into a verb? The GPT-3 computer. That's who sent from not that Chris Mullen. What is that? What is a GPT? Oh, that's the computer, the, the artificial is that the intelligence. right? Yes. Okay. Yes. From Ed Butt. You stress that frame bridge is two words, so when you make it into a verb, let's frame bridge that swim cap. Should it be hyphenated? Do you know, you know, or should we ask the computer? I don't know. Well, go to the computer. Yeah, I don't computer. know. Go to the computer. He sent us a lovely Christmas card. The eye in the sky. Very lovely. From Nick Sharkey in Washington, D.C. Imagine my surprise as I'm writing code and listening to an orange bald man droning about free meals at a second country club. When he starts talking about the GPT-3, and I said to myself, I know that neural network transformer. As a data scientist working for a strategic communications firm, I know all about GPT-3 and its fit within the natural language processing field, or as we cool kids say, NLP. After listening to your show for longer than I care to remember, I finally had my first David Aldridge moment. I can swing by the attic, give you a quick primer on sentiment, sentiment analysis, parts of speech tagging, and all things NLP, or just want me to call into the podcast. Please don't read my name on the air in case it leads to more business. Eat it, Saliza. Nick Sharkey, very good. <laughs> Um, from Tom Snow in Caldwell, Idaho. Every time I hear a story about a machine learning and AI, I yell out to no one in particular, we had a good run. <laughs> what baffles me is movies like Blade Runner and Terminator come out in the 80s, a decade you probably remember, and continue to be redone all the time. Isaac Asimov was writing about robots that contemplate the 1950s. Still, we push on towards doom. And why? Why do we progress towards our Boston Dynamics antelope tyranny every day? Well, that's easy, because there's a small chance, very small, that instead of a robot monarchy, it might give us more time to golf. And sign not written by a robot. Um, oh, this is who? It doesn't say who this is. First, it was Hallmark emails, then the Jeremiah, etc. name emails. <clears throat> the latest email trend is to make Tony cry tears of sentimentality. We are now approaching coming full circle with the show becoming a Hallmark movie side story where the lead finds love but also gets an old curmudgeon to soften through a secret Santa email campaign of heartwarming stories or where they try to save small but memorable chatter restaurant that was owned by four rich guys all while wearing flannel, so much flannel. I think it's from Wyatt Tool. It's really a brilliant email. From Bob Gray in Charlottetown in Prince Edward Island, it's the Mitch Album effect. The show with Mitch Album is one of the greatest radio experiences I've ever had over my seven decades. Yeah, podcasts, but podcasts feel like radio, especially yours, thank goodness. Here are the effects of me being enthralled with it. One, I sat dumbfounded in the parking lot, refusing to leave the car before the interview was over. 
Two, I bought the book, Stranger in a Lifeboat, for my wife at Christmas. It would be appreciated if other Prince Edward Island littles who hear this would not breathe a word. It's a small <laughs> island. Three, I put the Mitch Album podcast episode on a thumb drive, which she will also receive with the book. Four, I have donated to Mitch's Haiti Orphanage and Foundation in my wife's name, and she will receive that documentation too. Five, I am so grateful the experience of just hearing you and Mitch just talk. It was marvelous in every respect. And yes, I did break up a bit too, just like you. Isn't that nice? That's lovely. Bob Gray in Charlottetown and Prince Edward Island. And I have uh, one more. Okay, and this is Bill Isaacson. And then when we're done with this, we will end the show today. Tony, you received a fair amount of praise for your interview of Mitch Album and the questions he had never been asked before. That praise was nice, but it was also a shame because it caused your interview of Adam Ferrara to be overlooked. With Adam, you began strong with another question that he and no one expected. They have a fairgrounds in Timonium. Is Magoobies in the fairgrounds? By the way, according to GPS on your phone that you did not use, they're only 1.3 miles apart. Then there was your discussion of not Tom Jones. Talk about burying the lead. And your discussion of not Tom Jones and his mother, Shirley, who was on Broadway in Oklahoma. It is amazing that neither you nor Adam or even Nigel said the mother of not Tom Jones is not that Shirley Jones from the movie Oklahoma. I repeat, the mother of not that Tom Jones is the Shirley Jones from the Broadway production of Oklahoma and not that Shirley Jones from the movie production of Oklahoma. Finally, to wrap up your interview, you left us with this lovely little nugget. The Breakers Hotel in Palm Beach is lovely. Robert Kraft's condo is right near the Breakers. <laughs> with this ending, you left my head spinning with this question. Is Magoobies as close to the Timonium Fairgrounds as the Orchids of Asia Day Spa is to the Breakers? Thank you, Bill. If you're out on your bike, time, everyone, as always, do wear white. I'm going to solve. All right. Mm. No, Kuro cabinet. You're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot. Framebridge is a verb. Framebridge is a verb. If Framebridge is a verb, Kornheiser is a verb. He made a stupid, weak argument, so I cornizered him until he withered in the corner. If Kornheiser is a verb, then Nigel is a verb. I Nigel him by analyzing the Super Bowl match and admiring the natural grass pitch. If Nigel is a verb, Bootsy and Hammer is a verb. All was darkness, and then I Bootsy and Hammered them with cuteness. Then Carville is a verb I Carville them until they were utterly confused If Carville is a verb Then Booger is a verb I Boogered them with really good personal examples To support my premise If Booger is a verb Then Michael is a verb I Michaeled him by appearing to bring calm While subtly needling the host If Michael is a verb Then Chessie is a verb Sat quietly, then Chessied loudly and stole the show. If Chessie is a verb, Uncle Benny is a verb. I Uncle Benny him by stiffing him on his inheritance and giving him a piece of clunky furniture. If Uncle Benny is a verb, then Saliza is a verb. I looked at the pie, it looked good, so I solicited it. If Saliza is a verb, then Wilbon is a verb. They thought I'd be surprised, but I will bond and side coming all along. Nigel is a verb, Tin Hammer is a verb, Carville is a verb, Booger is a verb, Michael is a verb, Jesse is a verb, Wilbon is a verb, Kornheiser is a verb, Framebridge is a verb, Uncle Benny is a verb, Saliza is a verb, Kornheiser is a verb.
when it's my time to take that ride Bring me to Memphis by the riverside Lay me down somewhere green Close my eyes and I'll dream Waiting on tomorrow 